This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com. This is episode three of the Prospect Podcast here on Wednesday, September 18th. I'm going to move this podcast to Wednesday as opposed to Monday. It just gives me a lot more time to watch the abundance of film that I watch every week at the NFL and college levels. There's just so much to get to, and I have so much to get to in this podcast, so I'm going to get started with Tua Tagovailoa. I have a prediction to make with him that I think he is going to be a really tough evaluation, that there is just too much talent on this Alabama offense. I think Gary Danielson brought up a great point during the broadcast that he doesn't remember a time that a quarterback has had such a talented quartet of wide receivers that many teams every college football season have two good wide receivers, and throughout college football history, there's been a few teams that have had three really good wide receivers, but to have four, to have Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, and Devonta Smith, and the latter of which was the best wide receiver on the field against South Carolina, it's pretty much unprecedented. And I think Steve Sarkeesian knows that, knows that any secondary they face is going to be severely overmatched against these four wide receivers. There's not really a tight end. There's not an O.J. Howard. There's not a Nerv Smith. Uh, the running backs are not catching a ton of passes out of the backfield. But these four wide receivers are absolutely dynamic. You watch that game against South Carolina. Tagovailoa almost completed 80% of his passes. He threw for 444 yards with five touchdowns and no interceptions. But when you watch the game, you see a lot of swing passes. You see a lot of screens. You see a lot of slants. You see a ton of yards after the catch. Henry Ruggs had an 81-yard touchdown. Just took a run-of-the-mill slant, and then all of a sudden he was the only player on the screen. And I'll get to him in a little bit. Devonta Smith, I'll talk about him later, was outstanding. He had eight catches over 120 yards, a couple of touchdowns. I just don't know if Tua Tagovailoa is going to put a large sample size of high degree of difficulty throws on film this year. He did it to a certain degree last year. There were a lot of really well-timed passes and, and well-placed passes down the field. But early on in this season, and, and I don't even think he was great 
against New Mexico State, made some bad decisions down the field, had some overthrows, but again, had three touchdowns, no picks, um, completed a high amount of his passes, only threw for 220-plus yards in that game. But you watch that game as well, and even the season opener against Duke, so much of it is after the catch on short passes from his wide receivers, from Jerry Judy, from Henry Ruggs, from Devonta Smith, from Jalen Waddell. Now, you could go a little deeper with this. Is this kind of the future of the NFL, that quarterbacks are going to be point guards and it's really going to become a playmaker's league? I think we're not. it's not that close to happening on Sundays because I do think that for the next few years, at the very least, we are still going to see that quarterbacks – Having a high-quality quarterback can change a team in a positive way more so than any other position, and even if you do have a stacked receiver group. But what we've seen from Tago Vailoa in this Alabama offense, I just haven't really seen a lot from him. I've seen a lot of passes that very many other quarterbacks um, could have completed. Um, The ball placement's been good. The pocket presence has been mostly good. Down the field, he hasn't been great in terms of his accuracy, but he's put up ridiculous statistics, and I think that's going to continue. Certainly against the Auburn, against LSU, he's going to face more of a difficult test, and that's where we can see some of those NFL-caliber throws. But we're going to look at what he did last year. He set a passing efficiency record in college football history last season. He's probably going to break that this year. There was a ton of hype for him that maybe the Miami Dolphins or a few other teams are trying to tank to get him. And we're going to see the production and say, oh, pencil him in. He's the first overall pick. He's going to be an elite quarterback in his first or second season and be this stud forever. I don't know if that's necessarily the case based on what I've watched so far. I think the it remains to be seen. The jury is still out on Tua Tagovailoa. And similar case, Justin Herbert. He played good against Auburn. He was not great. I think they needed him to be great to win that game. But similarly, his offensive coordinator gave him a lot of screens, a lot of swing passes, uh, a lot of slants, a lot of shallow crosses on uh, against man coverage that were very high percentage completions. Similarly to what we saw last year with Dwayne Haskins, that that was a yards after the catch predicated offense. And we haven't seen Dwayne Haskins on an NFL field in, in the regular season yet in case Keenum has played well for Washington. But I still need to see more from Justin Herbert as well. He had 10 touchdowns and no interceptions in the last two games against Nevada, against Montana, opponents that Oregon was just severely more talented than. And we've seen him beat up against lesser competition. I want to see Justin Herbert on the road or in a tough Pac-12 conference game against a Utah, against a Washington, against a good Cal secondary to be able to have that quality performance where we see a handful of NFL caliber tight window throws, throws in which he needs to maneuver inside the pocket away from pressure and still make accurate passes down the field. So with Tua and Justin Herbert, it's early, so I'm not, maybe I'm nitpicking a little bit here, but I haven't been supremely wowed by them at this point. And as they get into their conference schedules, the thicker their conference schedules, I think we will get to see more from them. But I really do not believe that we're going to get enough from Tua Tagovailoa in terms of what he's doing individually as a quarterback. The stats are going to be there, but I don't know if the there's going to be a big sample size of these spectacular throws from him in this ridiculous Alabama offense. One other point that I want to bring up at the quarterback spot It's only middle of September, but I'm waiting for that number three quarterback to emerge. Is it Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma? 
uh, if we're going to talk about Tuatago-Vailoa's system at Alabama and Justin Herbert, we need to obviously bring up Oklahoma's offensive philosophy under Lincoln Riley, who to me is the most creative offensive mind in college football today. And I think he should be uh, a, a, someone that is on the NFL head coaching radar. He was kind of rumored last year, signed an extension, but we've seen college coaches bolt for the NFL or bolt for other schools. What he does at Oklahoma, I think, so much misdirection with motioning, with pulling guards, with the, their run-pass option package is so expansive. Jalen Herb. Jalen Hurts, excuse me, is completing 80% of his passes. He has nine touchdowns, no interceptions, two 100-plus yard rushing games. But individually, and just looking at his skills, I don't see someone that's necessarily a full-field reader. I don't see someone that has a big arm where the ball really explodes off his hand. He has kind of a slower delivery. And again, maybe this is nitpicking. But I haven't really been wowed by any quarterback in the country that's, you know, Jacob Eason started strong against lesser competition. An FCS opponent did not play well, really laid an egg in that weather-delayed game against Cal. Played better last week, but as we get into the Pac-12 season, I need to see more from him. Has a big arm, six foot five, can really stretch the field, but is his pocket presence there? Can he maneuver away from oncoming defenders, stay inside the pocket, make good throws, keep his head up? Is it Joe Burrow? Is he that number three quarterback? He's coming from a level where I saw him as an undraftable quarterback last year, that he was not on my draft radar whatsoever. He was really a one read and then run quarterback. Played a little bit better down the stretch, but he's someone coming from such a low level, certainly played at a high level in that game against Texas. I was very impressed with some of the NFL caliber throws he made down the seam on back shoulder throws when there was some pressure in his face and I think having a former Saints play or former Saints coach as his play caller helps out a great deal um, for that offense and for Joe Burrow he will be tested in the SEC when he faces Alabama when he faces Georgia when he faces some of that tougher competition but I don't really, I haven't seen anyone emerge as, oh, this guy is definitely that number three guy that could maybe push someone like Justin Herbert or Tua Tagovailoa for that number two spot. That remains to be seen who that quarterback is. It is still early. Could it be Joe Burrow? Could it be Jalen Hurts? It'll be really fun to watch that develop throughout the college football season. Let's move now to my big board movement segment. I don't have a big board, an updated big board out yet. I'll probably do that next week or maybe as we get into October. I'm going to kind of spread those out throughout the season. I want to talk about a few players, two at the same position, two on defense, one on offense. I'll start with Curtis Weaver from Boise State. Man, watching his film over the summer, I was thoroughly impressed. I saw flashes of Joey Bosa when it came to his get-off, his bend, and most importantly, and if you follow me on Twitter or you read my articles... You know how important I believe pass rushing moves are. That even if you don't have Ben, even if you're not the supreme athlete, if you can use your hands to beat offensive linemen with counter moves, then you can be a productive player at the NFL level. He has six sacks, four of which came against Portland State last week, but his arsenal of pass rushing moves I think are the best in the country. He's playing in the group of five. Yes, Boise State is a household program at this or household name in terms of being a program, but he's not going to get as much hype as an AJ Epinesa from 
Iowa, certainly not Chase Young, certainly not as much as Chase Young from Ohio State. But Curtis Weaver, I think, is someone that is primed to check all the boxes at the edge rusher spot. I think he's going to have a huge year in the Mountain West. I thought he was fantastic last season. He's only a junior, but I think he's someone that will enter the draft. And he, to me, I put him in the top 20 of my most recent mock draft. I think he could ultimately go there because he does have that athletic prowess, too, along with being a very refined pass rusher. Moving over to the other side of the ball, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. He's had such an interesting career for the Buckeyes that he had a huge freshman season, didn't really do as much, was kind of in a running back committee last year for the Buckeyes. And through three games at Ohio State, he's averaging 7.1 yards per catch. He has four touchdowns, has extreme twitchiness that some of his cuts he makes seems like a video game glitch, that he shouldn't be able to move, change directions as quickly as he does. He has good down-the-field speed. I mean, is he a 4-3 or 4-4 guy? Maybe not. Is he a 4-5 flat player? I think he could be. And based on what we've seen from Urban Meyer's, especially offensive skill position players and cornerbacks, players that were recruited by Urban Meyer, I think J.K. Dobbins is, is going to show out at the combine at the running back position. He's someone that kind of fell off the radar a little bit and was squarely behind Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, maybe even Cam Akers um, coming into this 2019 season. And for as much as I've talked about how good this wide receiver group is, this running back class is loaded. And I think J.K. Dobbins, through three games, he was outstanding against Indiana, and his production has and efficiency has increased in those three games, has really proven to be or shown that he can be a day two selection in this 2020 draft. Um, it's just a really, really good group, and J.K. Dobbins is someone that we really need to be watching throughout the Big Ten season. Staying in that conference and going back to the edge rusher spot, Kenny Willekes, he has four sacks in three games. Similar to Curtis Weaver, he uses his hands tremendously, can win to the inside, to the outside, can counter off his speed rush. He's not as dynamic of an athlete as Curtis Weaver. I think he's more powerful with his hands. His bull rush is better. He's dominant against the run. He's 6'4", 260 pounds. And I watched him in... All of last season and certainly into December when I thought he was going to declare for the draft, he probably would have. He came out and said, I, I was ready to declare. He gets hurt in the bowl game against Oregon, decides to come back for his senior season at Michigan State. I think he's going to probably be the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. He is just that dynamic. I think maybe Chase Young could kind of battle him for that distinction, for that award. But Kenny Willekes is someone that may not even ultimately go in the first round because I don't know how well he's going to test, but second or even third round potentially, similar to the Chase Winovich situation uh, in this past draft, that I think Kenny Willick is, is going to be a very good NFL player because what he showed even last year and what he's certainly demonstrating now at Michigan State is a NFL veteran type of skill set at the edge rusher spot. Moving over to the wide receivers, Again, it's it's a loaded class, and I think early on, this position group has lived up to that immense hype uh, that across the board, from the Alabama wide receivers to T. Higgins at Clemson, they have lived up to the hype that we set for this wide receiver group, and Individually, Tyler Johnson from Minnesota had kind of a slow start, actually, and was outshined by his teammate Rashad Bateman in the first two games. 
He was outstanding in Minnesota's win over Georgia Southern. He had three touchdowns, including the game winner with under 20 seconds left in that game where he caught the ball on a fade route near the end zone or in the end zone, but from about the two or three yard line. He was actually held on the play, but was still able to elevate and high point the football. He made a great back shoulder catch from his quarterback, Tanner Morgan, and yards after the catch. That's probably where he thrives the most and where his specialty is. He's not as dynamic as Jerry Judy or, or not as fast as Henry Ruggs or T. Higgins, but he has just an innate awareness of where everyone else is on the field on defense. When he catches the football, he truly turns into a running back, finds spaces, can find green grass, pretty elusive, pretty fast. I don't think he's going to run in the 4-4s, but even if he runs anywhere in, from 4-5-0 to 4-5-5, I think he'll be a late first, second, or third round pick. And I compared him to Devontae Adams before the season. I see that similar type of player. Devontae Adams went in the second round, did not necessarily start quickly at the NFL level, but has become a superstar for the Green Bay Packers. Moving over to the Alabama wide receivers, and I'll be quick on them because I've talked about them already, but Henry Ruggs is as electric of a playmaker at tremendous size that I have seen in the last four or five years. He's not 5'8 and 165. Uh, he's six foot and close to 200 pounds, and he told Alabama reporters yesterday that he was clocked at 24 miles per hour on his 81-yard touchdown against South Carolina. That's insanely fast. Since the NFL has released its next-gen statistics, which started in the 2016 season, the fastest miles per hour recorded was from Tyree Kill in 2016 at 23.2 miles per hour. So that just gives you an idea of how fast Ruggs is. He has 20 touchdowns in 71 career touches at Alabama. He truly is, and I probably use the phrase too much, and you probably see it or hear it too much online and on TV, he truly is a home run hitter that can, that is a threat to score from anywhere on the field anytime he touches the football. And I think we need to start talking about Devonta Smith, his teammate, as a day two or an early day three prospect. He's skinny. He's six foot, 175 pounds. He runs good routes. He's pretty fast after the catch, too, and he has awesome hands. We've seen him already make a few catches on some low passes from Tua Tagovailoa early in this season. He was the star against uh, South Carolina. Devonta Smith, don't forget about him. He caught that touchdown in the national title game two years ago when he was a freshman against Georgia uh, to win that national title game in that walk-off overtime. So Devonta Smith, too, along with Henry Ruggs, along with Jerry Judy, we need to talk about all three of these Alabama wide receivers as top 50 selections, uh, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. One other player I want to talk about, TCU's wide receiver Jalen Rager, He's being held back by his quarterback's passes at the intermediate level where he created separation, where the passes just were not on target. That was the case against Purdue. I mean, this was kind of touted as Rondell Moore against Jalen Rager. I was excited for it. A lot of people were excited about it, um, even though Rondell Moore was not or isn't draft eligible until next season. And Jalen Rager did not have a big game. But when you watch the film, there were two throws that were well overthrown where he was where he had created separation down the field. One would have been probably a 60- or 70-yard touchdown. Another would have been a 40- or 50-yard gain. And 
they get him involved in the jet sweep game on end arounds, and you see, and you saw it against Purdue, the freakish ability that he has to make defenders miss, and he's just effortless with doing so. I tweeted it out, and I put it on Instagram. On a simple comeback route, he made this kind of a slide step move that I have never seen before on such a simple route. Maybe in space you've seen electric playmakers you know, do ridiculous thing. Reggie Bush, Tavon Austin at the college level. But just on a simple comeback route, an eight-yard hitch, what he was able to do just completely undress the Purdue defensive back. It just was eye-popping. So Jalen Rager, don't look at the statistics with him, and I think that could push him down in the draft. I think he's going to test very well at the Combine, but don't just look at the statistics. Really watch the film and see, oh, and not even just did he have any drops or you know what were his stats. Look at how often he's open and his quarterback is missing him down the field. Jumping over to my last segment, young players at the NFL level. I'm going to talk about two guys that I was not as high on as the consensus who have gotten off to really, really impressive starts. I'm going to start with Hollywood Brown in Baltimore for the Ravens. He was my wide receiver number seven and my number 40 overall prospect in this draft class. I was just worried about his size, his injuries, and it was a little concerning that he was not able to eat up a big portion of that Oklahoma passing offense last year that CeeDee Lamb was at times even a better wide receiver than him. Uh, Most of the time, good wide receivers at the NFL level were that alpha on their college offense. And Marquise Brown wasn't necessarily that guy last year at Oklahoma. He was certainly productive, but did not account for 35 40% of the receiving yards with the Sooners last season. And he has been outstanding in the first two games. He has 12 catches, 233 yards, two touchdowns. And I think he's in the perfect situation with Lamar Jackson and Greg Roman. Just like we saw at Louisville, Lamar Jackson is starting to progress as a passer. He's with the perfect offensive coordinator, like I said. And watching that game against the Arizona Cardinals, the Baltimore Ravens are not this run heavy, get it out quickly, screen game offense. They want to stretch the field. And Lamar Jackson has been great down the seam to Mark Andrews from Oklahoma and certainly has placed a lot of footballs right in the bucket to Marquise Brown down the field. There was a play late in that game with the score 23-17 where it was kind of the dagger. It was a 50-yard down the sideline throw. Marquise Brown had about a half step of separation. He's tracked the football very well. That was one thing that I thought he did a lot better than he got credit for was for being as small as he was, he was pretty effective in those contested catch situations. I wrote an article on CBSSports.com. If you Google Marquise Brown, Chris Trapasso, you'll see an article that I wrote that I didn't see him as a Tavon Austin. I saw him more as a, a Tyree Kill or a Brandon Cooks type prospect. Just I really liked a lot of receivers more than him, bigger wide receivers in this past draft class. But hats off to him. He's gotten off to an awesome start, and he's been the go-to guy for Lamar Jackson. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Another um, offensive player, Josh Jacobs. He was my number five running back. He was kind of everyone's cons- or, you know, number one running back, the consensus at that position. I didn't see enough elusiveness. I saw a good one-cut ability. I thought he'd be good in a, in a zone scheme. But he's been very elusive in these first two games for the Oakland Raiders. He's averaging 5.3 yards per carry. And we haven't really seen him, his receiving ability, tapped into yet by John Gruden. He only has one catch for 28 yards. But 
being able to make defenders miss in small spaces, I didn't see that last season at Alabama to the degree that, that would have warranted him being my number one running back or certainly not being a first-round pick. I had him as my number 99 overall player. But another player, hats off to him. Behind that improved Oakland Raiders offensive line, he's really been the focal point, and I think he's been the driver of, of Oakland's offense looking a lot more competent than he did or than it was last season. And lastly, I have to talk about this. Mason Rudolph, my number one quarterback in the 2018 class, um, I was really the only guy that had him there. Took some flack for it, and that was totally fine. I, I totally understand that people were like, what is this guy thinking? But I truly believed that he was the best quarterback prospect in the 2018 class. The opportunity is here for him. With Ben Roethlisberger out for the year with the elbow injury, we'll get to see Mason Rudolph for the rest of the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's in a great situation. Having Juju Smith-Schuster, they have some good young weapons. I think James Washington will start to obviously get involved a little bit more just based on the connection that he has with Mason Rudolph. I thought he was good. I didn't think he was great against uh, the Seattle Seahawks in that second half. They weren't going to ask him to do a lot coming onto the field in a relief appearance. Did have the interception, but it bounced off Dante Moncrief's hands. I think Moncrief needs to be relegated to the number four, number five wide receiver, and James Washington should and will be elevated. It'll be really interesting to see against a San Francisco defense that doesn't have a load of well-established stars to see how Mason Rudolph does on the road in a pretty huge opportunity for him. I'm very excited to watch him. The game's at 425. Certainly should tune in and, and, and see if I was wrong or see if I ultimately was right about Mason Rudolph. All right, that'll do it for this podcast. This was the Prospect Podcast. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thanks for listening. Being a very profound That was the case last year that there were so many plays where he was running down the field wide open and was overthrown, underthrown.